Hello everyone. My name is Vikas Agrawal and I'm the founder of AIF and PMS Experts India. So firstly, I want to uh, thank all the participants who have taken the time out from their busy schedule and joined us today. With me, I have Mr. Rakshit Ranjan. Uh, well, Rakshit doesn't need any introduction because we've we've done a couple of webinars with him in the past also. He's, he's one of the uh, core, core, you know, founding member of Marcellus. Before that, he has worked with uh, Ambit and he was the, he was instrumental in terms of you know, uh, coming out with uh, uh, their coffee can investing. He's also he was also co-author in one of the books of coffee can investing along with Saurabh. Uh, so uh, it's been uh, almost uh, four years now. Uh, Rakshit over four years now. Rakshit is running consistent compounding strategy. So today the agenda is to read his mind, understand uh, what's happening in and around the world. A we will talk about the strategy and the update on couple of uh, you know ideas if you wish to share. And then we'll talk about, you know, how compounding works because uh, Rakshit is a firm believer in compounding. Um, he also talked about it in many sessions. You know, if you if your money is growing at 26%, you know, your 1 crore becomes 10 crores in 10 year. It becomes 100 crores in 20th year and it becomes 1000 crores in 30th year. So that's called power of compounding and absolutely it's wonder of the world. So we'll touch upon, touch upon that as well. Uh, so thank you once again. Uh, thank you, Rakshit, for accepting our request and taking the time out. Uh, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Vikas. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for attending this uh, session. So, Vikas, I'll just try to share my screen. Let me see yeah. if I can do it. Right. Yeah, actually. Okay. Um, great. So let me uh, let me quickly set the uh, set the ball rolling with a little bit. Vikas mentioned I should start with a little bit on uh, on markets, followed by the portfolio, followed by uh, uh, a bit of a discussion on consistent compounding or compounding in general. Um, so so let me see how how uh, uh, deep we can go, uh, particularly through the Q and A. Um, so maybe I'll. Uh, I'll talk for 15, 20 minutes at max, 25 minutes, and uh, yeah. and open it up for questions. Uh, so please uh, bring up whatever questions uh, uh, you want. Uh, uh, happy to answer uh, in as much of depth as possible. Um, so to begin with our view on the markets, uh, uh, first and foremost, taking a very long-term view, I think uh, uh, the broader uh, indices in India um, are likely to compound at nominal GDP growth plus minus one or two percentage points, which is a very healthy outcome. Uh, that is a sort of a 10 to 12 percent rate of compounding is what we expect the index to deliver. And the reason for that is uh, the economy is is in a reasonably steady uh, shape uh, with uh, with a few few uh, let's say uh, tailwinds. The longer-term structural tailwinds being more around the demographics, around how the country is getting polarized, where in every industry uh, the the big companies are becoming bigger, the strong are becoming stronger, and the weak are becoming weaker. So the the degree to which within an industry profits are controlled by one or two dominant firms, uh, it's increasing uh, as every year is progressing. 
Uh, and that's happening not just at an industry level, it's happening at a company, at an economy level overall as well. So you might have heard us talk about uh, how the top 20, uh, the top 20 uh, profit generators in India, they control about 70 to 80% of the entire corporate profitability of this country. Um, and this number used to be uh, uh, as low as 25, 30%, 15, 20 years ago. Today, it is 70 to 80%. So that's the degree of uh, consolidation. It's happening for uh, uh, reasons such as uh, uh, infrastructurally, the country has been joined together, whether it be telecom penetration or road, rail, and air travel uh, infrastructure, which obviously then ensures that companies which can scale up, uh, uh, which can scale their competitive advantages beyond state borders, let's say, uh, they they can uh, they can sort of uh, take market share away from uh, regional weaker players, regional niche players who existed um, uh, when the country wasn't uh, uh, a single consolidated economy. It was more like uh, uh, twenty five different economies all over the uh, all over the map of map of India, and now all of that is getting joined together. Uh, particularly in the last five six seven years, this uh, trend has accelerated further with uh, demonetization, GST, uh, and subsequently COVID, uh, ensuring that uh, the, the strong become even stronger and the weak become weaker. Uh, for instance, uh, you can tangibly see the percentage of unorganized in any industry is uh, on a downtrend. Most industries, it is on a downtrend, and, uh, and organized players are gaining more and more share. Uh, uh, and the the dominant ones are becoming more monopolies, duopolies type of uh, uh, type of structures. Now that that's how we see the economy evolving. Uh, India is still pretty poor uh, compared to where it can be in future, compared to say some of the other larger developed economies, and it is uh, very very large. And being relatively poor and very large means that uh, on the one hand there are lots of inefficiencies in every uh, industry that are yet to be fully exploited. Um, the companies that are built around uh, uh, a, a sort of a ma machine-like process of exploiting such inefficiencies can sustain uh, high returns on capital employed over long time horizons, uh, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, etc. And being large means a lot of this return on capital employed can be actually redeployed towards driving growth. So the dominant and the polarizing winners are nowhere close to saturation. And that's a very unique position to be in. Um, so that's how we see the, the longer term drivers of uh, economic growth. Obviously, there are a few uh, recently added tailwinds. For instance, uh, uh, the, the whole manufacturing shift from uh, countries like China more towards India uh, 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 in many industries, uh, particularly electronics and all, uh, chemicals, pharma, right? All of these three, four, five industries where there's a massive shift of manufacturing. It's uh, it's fueling an otherwise largely only consumption-driven uh, economic growth that we previously had. So now you've got, in a way, uh, another, another big, big engine uh, getting added to the growth. And hence, I think 10, 12, 13%, that kind of a, uh, a, a growth over the longer term in uh, both nomin nominal GDP terms as well as the broader index uh, is something that we expect the, the stock markets in India to deliver. Um, we don't know from a three-month, six-month perspective where will markets be. At any point of time, there will be many 
uncertainties on the horizon. Um, it is it is not fair to say that black swan events have become more frequent now. Even five years ago, seven years ago, three years ago, uh, ten years ago, every year would have some concern in the minds of investors on the horizon. Some of those concerns will fructify. Most of those concerns won't fructify. Uh, and hence, uh, you will have a little bit of up and down, which makes the three, six, 12 month horizon very unpredictable. And hence, we don't try to sort of second guess whether Sensex will be at a certain level in three months time or Nifty will be at this particular level in six months time. That's, that's anybody's guess. I think anybody who tries to answer those questions uh, uh, with high conviction is uh, probably, I mean, in our view, we, we, we don't see how they, those answers can be justified uh, through logic, uh, given the number of variables that affect uh, short-term uh, stock market movements. Um, so that's, uh, that's, in a sense, our view on the broader stock market. Uh, when it comes to our portfolio, um, so last uh, couple of years were uh, pretty interesting. As in, on the one hand, uh, uh, in our portfolio, we saw uh, the high quality businesses that we own, they benefit from a crisis like COVID, a crisis like the supply chain disruption after the Russia-Ukraine war kicked off. And these companies, they strengthened their uh, control, uh, their dominance, their pricing power uh, in the, in the uh, industries in which they operate. But at the same time, uh, there were a few back-to-back uh, -back, uh, headwinds against quality businesses' share prices in the stock market. Um, the first one being uh, commodity prices. They shot through the roof early last year, and our portfolio companies are mainly commodity consumers. The second one was uh, uh, PSU banks and various other public sector enterprises. They started doubling in share prices late last year and uh, we don't have any of those uh, 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 kinds of uh, public sector owned companies in our portfolio we try to avoid them for um, uh, a specific uh, uh, a specific generic reason about uh, interests of the main promoters in these not fully aligned with the interest of minority shareholders uh, and uh, finally the uh, the bit about uh, uh, interest rates increasing in the us obviously then leads to long-dated investments of, let's say, large institutions globally moving out from equities towards debt, which is what we also saw towards the end of last year. And that culminates itself into uh, those statements that you see on TV, FII outflow and all. And our portfolio companies are all FII owned uh, in a very dominant manner compared to the broader market. And hence, on the one hand, the businesses were getting stronger given the crisis. On the other hand, their share prices were adversely affected by the headwind, uh, which was a, a short-term headwind that would have reversed once it was over. Uh, we've seen a bit of that reversal uh, uh, in the last three months. Uh, so I think consistent compounders is up some 17, 18% uh, in the last three months since 1st of uh, April compared to, I think, 9% or 10% for the broader market. Uh, so there's this healthy absolute return as well as relative return. And why uh, this has happened, actually, it's nothing else other than the fact that the fundamentals kept progressing in the last two years, the share prices didn't. And, and hence, in, in lots of uh, parts of our holding portfolio, uh, there was a massive disconnect between between uh, uh, the 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 current share prices and the deserved uh, 
deserved uh, levels of uh, share prices given the way the fundamentals progressed. And that disconnect had become very wide. It had become as big as about 30, 35 odd percent. Uh, around 10% of that disconnect has uh, already reversed in the last three months. When I say 10%, why do I say 10%? Because in the last three months, in a way, the fundamentals have also progressed at, say, if you say 20% annualized, that's more like a, uh, say, a 6 to 8% uh, per quarter. So fundamentals have progressed at that rate, but the share prices have progressed at a, at a 17, 18% level, as I said. And hence, there's a 10% compression in the disconnect that has happened. There's another, there's another 25-30% compression that uh, that is still out there. We expect this disconnect to compress even further, uh, provided there's no more black swan event. I mean, for all you know, if uh, if there is a massive geopolitical situation that turns up tomorrow morning on newspapers, then maybe maybe we are we are headed towards another two, three, four months of irrationality. Um, so on and so forth. So barring any of those black swan events uh, uh, occurring in the short term, we expect the catch up with fundamentals that has been happening in the last three months in our portfolio to continue um, in the foreseeable future as well. Um, this is a performance chart that you can see. Uh, yeah, this is as of 31st of May, uh, but the numbers that I talked about are more for 1st April to 30th of June, 30th of June being today, more or less. Um, now, how have we seen uh, this evolve? So let me actually come to this slide in a bit. Uh, this is this is how the the disconnect uh, uh, I can quantify. If you look at the revenue growth in FY23 for our portfolio, it was about 19%. Earnings growth was 20, um, and that was on the back of FY22 revenue growth and earnings growth also being very healthy. Now. Um, Things like a weak base effect helping healthy growth as an output. That is an argument that applied in FY22. It is not an argument that applied in a meaningful way in FY23. So FY22, 26% revenue growth, 31% profit growth, you can say is a reversal of what happened in FY21 during COVID, where it was a complete shutdown and many businesses reported decline in profits. But FY23 is on a more normal base and hence the closer to 20% growth in uh, revenues and earnings is actually um, a, a more normalized run rate of growth that the businesses have uh, delivered uh, X aberration. Uh, against that, when you look at the last two columns, which is the share price, this is the disconnect that I was talking about, right? Uh, you, This is the annualized uh, disconnect. Uh, you extend it over two years and you get to the 35-40% that I was talking about that prevailed as of FY23. From um, a long-term perspective, though, uh, this is how uh, these companies have compounded. And I link link this slide to the power of compounding, as Vikas mentioned in the agenda. Uh, but effectively, what you can see here is uh, these companies have compounded their returns on capital employed at twice the rate as Nifty's return on capital employed. In the very long term, this delta between the two ROCs, when combined with reinvestment rates, delivers the delta in profit compounding, and that subsequently delivers the delta in free cash flows and share prices. Right. Uh, so, so the starting point is return on capital employed, the degree of cash generation roughly twice as much as that of uh, Nifty on average. Uh, and then reinvestment rates on top are 50 60%. Uh, of the operating cash flow for consistent compounders, which leads to profit after tax compounding being closer to 20% historically, which is again a 10 percentage point higher 
uh, run rate than Nifty 50's profit after tax compounding. And in the long run, uh, free cash flow compounding and share prices, uh, they move hand in hand, which is where the delta, the alpha, uh, the outperformance in the long run gets generated. Uh, right, as I said, last one, one and a half, two years was a bit of an aberration. Don't consider that to be the example of a long run um, because aberration will reverse, ha it has been reversing. But when you look at the three year, five year, seven year uh, horizons, uh, you see how the gap versus Nifty 50 uh, uh, that a quality portfolio like CCP ends up delivering in the long run. Um, now, this is long run. When it comes to a time period like the last 18 months, patience gets tested, right? How does it get tested? You as investors actually uh, get tested on whether to choose whether whether to choose a short-term factor that you can see or a long-term factor that you might be able to see provided you go deeper. Um, when you make those choices, there are uh, there are at times polar opposite conclusions that you can draw, right? So for instance, when COVID-related uncertainty happened, uh, the long-term oriented approach would have been to look for companies that are using the crisis to the benefit. And the short-term approach would have been that uh, this is a disaster, probably world is coming to an end. We are entering shutdowns and lockdowns in March, 2020. Let's sell everything lock, stock, and barrel and exit from equities. Uh, uh, the, the World War was better than this, and 1930s and 70s was better than this. We are heading towards something that we've never seen in human uh, history, so on and so forth. And you can you can always then panic, right? So that's the that's the left half, the panic piece, and the opportunistic piece is the right half of the slide. And you can keep going on. FY22. You see, free uh, uh, cash flow of CCP was actually negative. Why? Because, uh, well, uh, let me put it this way: if you don't understand the reason why it was negative, it appears to be a disaster, right? Uh, on the one hand, FY21 had uh, uh, lockdowns. On the other hand, FY22 had negative free cash flow. Now, these are companies that are supposed to generate healthy free cash flow. Free cash flow drives fair valuation. And here we've got a portfolio with negative free cash flows. Uh, but uh, the moment you dig deeper, you see the long-term view behind the same factor, which is that the negative free cash flow is due to accelerated investments. Uh, the acceleration investments is a one-off opportunistic benefit that is being sought uh, to strengthen the long-term future even better. Uh, M&A in this portfolio, for instance, whether it be Dr. Lal acquiring Suburban, uh, Pedilite acquiring Araldite, uh, ICS Lombard acquiring Bharti Aksa, uh, HDFC Life acquiring HDFC, uh, uh, this one, Excite Life, right? So on and so forth. Asian Paints making a couple of acquisitions. Acquisitive activity in this portfolio was at all-time highs. Um, tech investments were at all-time highs. Uh, re-engineering of the entire foundation and adding new revenue growth drivers during a crisis. All of these kinds of uh, uh, capital allocation decision-making was at, at uh, unprecedented levels, which led to the free cash flow turning negative and hence a very different outcome that you can derive, provided you are willing to take a long-term view. Uh, likewise, Russia-Ukraine war has happened. Well, on the one hand, commodity price inflation, 
means Asian paints is a bit margin compressed from some 21-22% down to 14%. Imagine 7-8% compression in EBITDA margin of Asian paints and the company trades at 40-50 times price to earnings multiple. Well, you can panic at that or you can actually say that, look, uh, this is an event where global supply chains are challenged. 40% uh, of the raw material consumed by a firm like Asian Paints is imported. And hence, if Asian Paints can manage supply chain uh, efficiencies better during this time, they'll be able to put their products on the shelves, unlike their competitors who might not be able to put their products on the shelves. So it's an opportunity. It is not uh, a disaster. Um, but that, again, requires a deep understanding of whether Asian Paints is able to uh, benefit out of this opportunity? Uh, are you convinced about their ability to uh, do that? And uh, then uh, having a long-term view towards your investment in that firm, right? I'm, I'm again, just using Asian Paints as an example, the same applies to uh, many, many other companies um, uh, in our portfolio, right? And then uh, there will be other effects like, say, Dr. Lal Path Labs um, uh, is facing uh, challenges from Tata 1MG, Asian Paints, from Grasim uh, uh, announcing a capacity expansion. Uh, Bajaj Finance is uh, undergoing uh, a, a possible rise in, in a, a competitive intensity due to geo finance entry. Um, and the list goes on and on, right? Uh, for Petilite, it's an astral in adhesives. Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, for paint companies, astral has also bought a paint business. Uh, so on and so forth, right? The list is endless. And you can uh, you can either say, well, uh, more people are entering, that means profits will be compromised. Or you can say that, look, uh, uh, in all of these industries, uh, new entry, wherever the barriers to entry are low, um, just to set up a business, new entry has always been the case. But none of these new entrants have been able to make money. Is there a reason why that has happened? Does the reason still exist? And going forward, do I, as a result, see a threat to either profitability or market share of my portfolio company? That's the approach that you need to take if, uh, uh, let's say, so just to give you an example, Abbott India, we exited in Jan 2022 um, because uh, we could see that once, uh, uh, this one, uh, the firm that has done IPO um, uh, more recently, uh, Sorry, they have uh, they have come out with their product against Dufastone um, in pharma OTC, and Dufastone had 100% market share in its particular molecule, and uh, and now you've got this uh, this new competitor taking away 40% market share because of an intense price war that they've kicked off. Uh, we sold out of Abbott because we could see that uh, Abbott won't be able to sustain profitability and and uh, market share in products like these as competitive intensity intensifies, uh, we, we exited. But that's not necessarily the view you need to take on all companies because some of them might actually not have any adverse impact from a, uh, from a, a rising competitive intensity. Uh, and hence, uh, you need to take, uh, take a deeper dive. Uh, if you are convinced, then buy more of those firms where share prices are reflective of panic due to short-term reasons, but uh, that's actually not something that you apply on the long-term view uh, for that firm. Um, 
and uh, 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 as a result do more of uh, uh, more of disruptors investing via consistent compounders rather than sort of trying to hunt for hunt for disruption through newfound companies many of them now have started showing their true colors these are ipos of 2021 largely uh, quote unquote tech disruptors uh, right and uh, and it's 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 better to actually uh, uh, go with the known uh, known strengths of a consistent compounder if the consistent compounder is a disruptor if if titan is disrupting jewelry via carrot lane and digital evasion paints is disrupting home decor uh, directly bajaj finance is the next fintech then you don't need to buy a fintech which has recently gotten listed in 2021 just because it had a softbank backing or it had a tiger global backing or a sequoia backing or something else and it's a business that excites you uh, from the marketing deck right so uh, so many of those calls uh, i think you have to take uh, and hence compounding uh, whilst as vikas put it it's a it's an eighth wonder compounding is also probably the most uh, testing uh, uh, piece about investing uh, it tests your patience it tests your conviction it tests your understanding uh, uh, of the business and what really matters in the long run uh, to an investor right um, uh, business is what matters the share price doesn't matter share price follows uh, you should look at the drivers of the share price rather than the share price itself to understand the underlying story uh, and whether to believe in that story share price doesn't tell a story uh, the the share price is just an outcome in the long run it does tell a story not in the short run right um, finally on valuations there there's lots that i can actually talk about i'm sure there'll be questions from you guys um uh, is uh, is a 50 times p multiple on something like say a page industrialization paints uh, Uh, is a thirty times P multiple on an HDFC bank Bajaj Finance? Is that an expensive level, uh, or is a a ten times P multiple on something like say a Tata Steel a ten times P multiple on uh, some other bank? Uh, is that a cheap multiple, right? So those are some very interesting questions. Um, uh, simple way to put it: uh, as long as the current price to earnings it adequately captures the intrinsic value. Uh, you shouldn't be investing but if the intrinsic value is inadequately captured in the current share price and there's a massive undervaluation you should be invested what that does mean is at times at times a 10 times pe multiple is expensive and at times a 50 times pe multiple is cheap right not always but uh, many a times with high quality businesses particularly that can happen Uh, whether it is happening in your portfolio or not whether at a 40 times 50 times you should keep buying a portfolio or not is a call that you need to make basis uh, your understanding of what the intrinsic value is again uh, one year of share price performance is not an indication that you bought uh, something at uh, expensive valuations just because in the last one year it underperformed versus the market etc right those are very premature conclusions that you might try to arrive at having said that uh, i mean there are many companies which as i said at 20 30 times p multiple are also very expensive so uh, you should not even be touching them at 40 or 50 so um, so so that's uh, that's how we i think uh, uh, summarize the challenges in doing consistent compounding um, and then there are lots of uh, lots of other aspects i'll quickly show a, a graphic uh, after having explained this slide 
Sorry. Yeah, I said please take your time. I'm saying. Okay. Right. So, uh, see, uh, when you invest in the stock market, right, uh, uh, there are one of these four outcomes that you can undergo. Right. Uh, the happiest outcome is the bottom left, where on absolute performance it's healthy. On relative performance, relative to the benchmark, etc., it's healthy. Right. That's the that's the uh, sort of best outcome. Um, but then there are the yellow shades where you're getting one of the two things. You're either delivering healthy absolute returns, but um, uh, well, sorry, bottom right, where healthy absolute returns, but weak relative returns, or top left, where it is your portfolio has delivered a healthy absolute, uh, sorry, negative absolute return. You've burnt capital, but you've outperformed the market, right? So those are sort of uh, part good, part bad. And then there's the worst outcome where you burnt your capital and you underperform versus uh, the broader uh, broader stock market, right? So those are four different types of outcomes. Again, just to summarize, best is the bottom left, worst is the top right, and then there are the intermediate outcomes. Um, the plus one unit, minus two units, minus three units. I mean, these are degrees of happiness that we just tried to uh, just tried to hypothesize. Uh, this is from a webinar that we did talking about how loss aversion plays with the mind, where uh, uh, 10 rupees of gain gives you happiness, which is in, in, in degree terms, uh, not the same as 10 rupees of loss. 10 rupees of loss will give you far greater sadness than 10 rupees of gain. Right? That's, that's loss aversion for you. Um, and there are many, many uh, sort of concepts around this loss aversion that... Uh, 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 that, that can be talked about to understand the concept. Um, but what it does to us is, I will just quickly summarize. So let's say the blue shade, uh, right? Uh, this, is, this is blue, uh, uh, the way I, I look at it, the bottom left, right? The blue shade, yellow shades, and the red shade, it plays out in, uh, in equity investing. Here is how it plays out. If you look at a portfolio like CCP, Right? And this is based on the back test, which we've highlighted in a couple of our books, Diamonds in the Dust and Coffee Can Investing. If you look at a portfolio like CCP and take a three-month horizon, there will be lots of, uh, this is a 20-year horizon, right? So from 2002 to 2020, let's say, uh, as you progress left to right, the color bars show you how your experience would have been. On a three-month basis, there'll be lots of red and yellows. Uh, probably red plus yellow together will be more than the blues on a three-month basis in a CCP because there'll be several time periods where your portfolio is do doing healthy absolute returns but weak relative returns or healthy relative returns but weak absolute returns or red shades, which is weak absolute, weak relative. Right over a three-year time, uh, three-month time horizon, you'll have many, many such periods. Right, uh, the moment you zoom out a bit to one year, the blue shade suddenly start becoming much, much bigger. But still, there are a few reds and several yellows. Right, you can see a few reds where capital loss and relative to benchmark you want to perform, even over a one-year time horizon in a portfolio like CCP, it occurs. The moment you zoom out to three years, is, uh, red becomes a rarity, yellow becomes very low frequency, blues rule the bar 
to a great degree. You extend that to five years, blue becomes uh, pretty much 80-90% of the outcomes. Yellows are a few, red is pretty much non-existent. You zoom out further to seven years longer, etc. The bars will usually all be blue. Right, so that's uh, that's what time horizon in effect does when it comes to compounding, and this is very very important because uh, it's very easy to say that look, twenty five percent compounding means ten x in ten years or twenty six percent to be precise. Twenty six percent compounding means ten x in ten years. Twenty uh, percent uh, compounding means I think eight x in ten years or something like that. Those numbers are pretty multi bagger, right? Multi bagger is a great term. Uh, everybody gets excited. Can you give me a multi bagger idea? Right. This is multi-bagger in front of you, a chart, right? And this is history. So nobody can uh, disagree that this is a multi-bagger chart on the top. But the multi-bagger chart on the top can give you different shades of happiness depending on your time horizon. It's incredibly important to ensure that as you go through these shades, you differentiate between whether the red shades and yellow shades are due to a mistake in the portfolio or whether it's due to the short-term time horizon and just part of the journey. If it's a mistake, you should genuinely be concerned because if it's a mistake, then in future, there won't be any blues. You will all be yellows and more reds. If you are not making mistakes in stock picking, how do you define a mistake? Well, at our end, we define mistakes by Companies that are losing their competitive edge is a mistake. Companies that are uh, misallocating capital, that's a mistake. If there are no mistakes in the portfolio, then over a three-month, over a one-year time horizon, the occurrence of yellows and reds are actually periods which do test your patience. They are periods when uh, you, need to, you need to go deeper, you need to think deeper, as investors directly into stocks, which is our role, we have to do that at the stock level. As clients of fund managers, which is, uh, I guess, your role, you have to do that with the fund manager. Do the due diligence in a more intense way. And towards the end of that due diligence process, uh, conclude whether mistakes are being made here or not. If there are no mistakes being made, but your definition of mistake should be clear. Mistake is not defined by last 12 months share price performance. Mistake is defined by what have you picked up that is leading to a certain expectation of the share price or a certain experience of the share price in the here and now, right? Uh, if you've not picked up a, 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 a poor asset, then this multi-bagger, right? The, the, the most attractive word, I guess, in stock market investing, that multi-bagger will deliver as a chart in the long run, the way it delivers in this top chart of this slide. Right. Otherwise, uh, you might actually miss out on multi-baggers uh, in the long run because you get got swayed by the shades. Um, so that's one. There are quite a few other ways to look at the same thing. So, so think about this. Huh? This is Tata Steel, a massive optical illusion when you consider, say, March 2020 as a starting point. So uh, let's say if you're looking at a three-year CAGR today, with March or April 2020 as a starting point, uh, uh, Tata Steel actually might look, I don't know, I haven't updated this chart after August 21 on this slide, but till August 21, uh, 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 the one-year chart on Tata Steel looked like this, uh, right? So it's a massive uh, outperformance of Tata Steel over Titan, right? And then you zoom out. This is how the chart looks. 
it's flipped upside down. Um, this is Tata Steel long-term compounding versus Titan long-term compounding. A gap of 13% CAGR, right? Twice the run rate of compounding uh, for, uh, for Titan compared to Tata Steel. And hence the outcome is about 3x in your capital towards the end of the 10-year compounding journey. Why is this the outcome? This outcome is only because of the table on top. The encircled bit in the last column shows you the difference between uh, fundamental growth of a Titan versus a Tata Steel. That difference plays out in the long run in the share price chart. But if you look at just the dotted line, uh, vertical dotted line segment, right? Tata Steel looks quite interesting. So that's the that's in effect uh, where long-term compounding uh, 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 or let me put it this way, the eighth wonder of the world, which is compounding, plays out in the long term. It might not be playing out in the short term. This is another example of, uh, say, things like uh, subjects like PE multiple. Right. So think of it like this. Uh, uh, when you look at Titan's PE multiple in the chart on the top right, right, uh, and you look at it on a trailing basis, it appears that during FY21, Titan's PE went up from 60, 70 times to 200 times. Now, looking at this chart, somebody would say, well, fair value PE of Titan certainly is not 500 times. It might be undervalued at 60, 70 times, but certainly it is, it is a company where the fair value is less than 200 times. And if that is the case, which we agree, actually, we don't think Titan's fair value PE is 500 times. Uh, so uh, uh, at 200 PE trailing, uh, sitting in December 2020, uh, well, you should be selling Titan, right? We'll come to it. What happens if you did that? At the same time, Tata Steel trailing PE has compressed. And what a compression. It has come down from 13, 14 times down to about five times, right? It has halved in its PE multiple, right? That's Tata Steel, start in the bottom, right? So you should be buying Tata Steel, particularly in September 2021, right? And then again, I'll uh, I'll come to what happens if you if you buy Tata Steel uh, uh, in, in, in 2021, uh, September, right? So, uh, right? Now, this is what happens when you look at the outcome in a slightly different way. The moment you say that, look, uh, uh, let's consider forward PE instead of trailing. The December 2020 Titan forward becomes a not significant expansion that the stock has undergone. And the... Uh, uh, 2021 Tata Steel at the bottom also becomes a very different chart, not a significant compression in PE multiple. And hence, when you look at uh, when you look at the outcome subsequently, right? And you can open up share price charts of these companies. Titan Investment December 2020. What is the outcome? Because December 2020 trailing PE was 200 times. And uh, Tata Steel Investment uh, September 2021. What is the outcome today? And uh, September 2021, it was five times, right? So 200 times investment and five times investment. The outcomes you can see, 
and uh, and that just explains to you how aberrations have to be ironed out aberrations have to be removed from your understanding of uh, uh, what's happening around you right uh, this is another interesting uh, chart this is page industries uh, right on the one hand you can say well look uh, page industries has seen a massive pe expansion from 2014 to 2015 uh, so that should have called for an investor exiting from page and look what happened to pages pe subsequently so 2015 you should have been exiting page right um, uh, but this is how you zoom out and you see that well no not really the p multiple of page after a little bit of compression in 2016 17 it kept going up so all right not in 2015 it have exited from page in 2021 uh, right or at least in 2018 because the p kept going up this is another interesting piece when you look at the chart at the bottom chart at the bottom is price to free cash flow for page price to free cash flow has actually gone down so this is where your mind goes spinning that is it a stock which has become more expensive or is it a stock which has become more cheap chart on the top says it has become expensive chart at the bottom says it has become cheap and it's not that it has become cheap because its reinvestment rate has gone down and hence the free cash flows are artificially shooting through the roof in fact its reinvestment rates are pretty much uh, in the last five six seven ten years they have been more or less unchanged for a couple of years they did come down but then they've gone back up again in the last one or two years with the hassan plant coming up and a lot of capacity expansion coming up now again so uh, uh, that's that's where I, I think the the deeper dive into various concepts of long-term compounding is important. Uh, uh, this is another another interesting optical illusion. So this is DVS's share price chart, right? The correction that DVS underwent in the last two years appears to be an all-time high correction that the stock never underwent previously. When you look at this chart, but if you change the chart to percentage rather than just the share price on the vertical axis, as in you make it a log chart. Right, uh, the log chart suggests well the compression that DVS has undergone in percentage terms is actually something that this stock undergoes once in three four years on a very periodic basis. There is a specific reason related to its fundamentals and how the market perceives them, why this periodicity exists, and hence every time this periodicity occurs, as long as you are convinced that it is a repeat of what has happened in the past again, you should actually be buying more of DVS when it falls rather than exiting from it right this is a this is a, this is a beautiful chart uh, bajaj finance one of the best compounders right the eighth wonder of the world at its best in this company uh, we all know what the share price has done this is how the share price chart looks like you might say well bajaj finance has become very volatile more recently every time i see a correction in this it uh, it my heart skips a pulse or beat or whatever they call it right that might be the observation of some investor uh, looking at the encircled bits of the share price chart towards the right and it looks like an absolutely smooth curve in on the left half right but was it a smooth curve on the left half has it become more volatile the moment you move to a log chart you understand that bajaj finance uh, had gone through a 90 percent correction in 2009 30 35 40 correction in 2010, 2013, 2016, 2017, 19, 
this is a stock which goes through 30 to 40% correction every once in a while it's a leveraged business and it does unsecured lending short tail book uh, and hence perceptions they undergo volatility with every news flow uh, in a much more significant manner than it does for let's say a nestle or a pt light etc right so Uh, every time a Bajaj Finance falls by thirty, forty percent, provided again that word is important. Provided you are convinced about the underlying fundamentals, that's a buying opportunity rather than saying that share price is falling. Perhaps Bajaj Finance has uh, the story has come to an end. I shouldn't be invested anymore, right? I think uh, I saw a couple of broker reports six months ago saying Bajaj Finance has saturated. No more. Uh, growth of above fifteen percent should be expected from this company. Um, I mean, those are the statements that you need to question. Uh, if you really believe in them, then you should be exiting. No doubt about it. If you don't believe in them, then this is how the chart plays with your mind, uh, right? So, so yeah, and there's uh, there's lots lots more we can go through, uh, but in the interest of time, maybe I'll I'll take a pause and uh, Vikas over to you for any questions that you want me to take up. Sure, sure. Thank you, Rakshit. Uh, uh, great insights, especially when you zoom out and zoom in, and they see the same chart. You know, everything changes. So great. Thank you for enlightening us with your thought process. So you know, uh, Rakshit, uh, there is a saying in Gujarati that Bhagwan, I mean, price Bhagwan che. You know, Bhagwan. Bhagwan. Bhagwan che. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you have also implemented uh, the margin of safety in the recent past as part of the uh, sort of you know you, your start your your thought process has evolved over a period of last four years so can you talk to us about that what was that and how it is working out yeah i mean um, for a long answer i would actually suggest uh, 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 investors to read a couple of uh, 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 pieces of content. So one is uh, the 1996. Uh, Michael Mobson had written a book called Expectations Investing, and the reprint of that book came out uh, three years ago. Uh, that book actually summarizes this whole piece of uh, uh, how can a 50 times PE or a 70 times PE or a 30 times PE be a very cheap multiple, and how can a 10 times PE be a very costly multiple? Provided uh, the underlying fundamentals are such and such X Y Z etc. So uh, so so that's a book uh, I, I recommend all of uh, all of the listeners and people interested in the subject to to read up on. Uh, the the second piece that you can do, which is very similar to what the what the book also in a way does, uh, and that's uh, very similar to what we do in margin of safety uh, when we apply it for our portfolios, as Vikas mentioned. Is build a simple Excel sheet. In a simple Excel sheet, uh, just uh, uh, just build a build a skeleton, and then you can put in inputs to get uh, scenario analysis going. So here is what you need to do. If you have got a business with hundred rupees of free cash flows today, right, and an expectation that it will grow at a certain rate in future, right, there are two key variables which you have to narrow down on in your expectations variable number one is the rate at which you expect the free cash flows to grow in the foreseeable future variable number two is number of years of such a foreseeable future growth 
that is baked into the current price or number of years that you expect the free cash flows to grow that by, right? So the first variable is simple one to understand. If you expect, say, let's say, a company to deliver revenue growth of, um, let's say, 20% because the industry is growing at 11, 12, 13%. This company is gaining market share from X percent to Y percent, and hence, uh, that should add another 3-4% to the revenue growth. And then there is a new category getting added to the business, which should add another 3-4% years of uh, three four of growth, so on and so forth. And that might get you to 18-20% revenue growth for a business. Let's say, if that is the view, and you might conclude that, look, there is operating leverage or there is no operating leverage, free cash flows will grow at X, etc. So that's the simple maths to understand at what rate uh, do you expect a business to grow its free cash flows in the foreseeable future. And then what you can do is do a simple Excel sheet computation saying that, look, if 100 rupees or let's take the real free cash flow of the business today, if that's the real free cash flow of the business today, I apply my expected growth rate, which could be 15, 20, 25, whatever it is. Uh, how many years of free cash flow growth before you apply terminal value growth of, let's say, 5%? Right. Why 5%? Why not zero? Because these companies are operating in, in industries uh, uh, which are day-to-day -day essentials. And uh, uh, once they stagnate in future, they will have zero volume growth, but the ability to pass on prices to customers uh, and maintain at least uh, 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 their, their status quo. As in the real stagnation means you're not uh, growing volumes and uh, and then whether you can pass on the prices or not de defines your terminal growth rates, right? So on businesses like these, if you let's say take a four, five, six percent, whatever, we take five percent, five percent terminal growth rate, and uh, along with the five percent terminal growth rate, you say that uh, I apply say a cost of capital of weighted average cost of capital of twelve percent or thirteen or eleven or something like that, right? So build that model when you then put in the current share price the only thing left in the equation is the number of years of free cash flows into the future that are already part of current share price right that will tell you the competitive advantage period as michael morbison calls it uh, that is baked into the current price in our portfolio given the rate at which we expect free cash flows to compound around 22 23% weighted average uh, the Jan 2022 valuations were factoring in around eight to nine years of longevity, right? Which effectively means that if you believed that these businesses after eight to nine years will stop growing volumes, will grow only at 5% revenue profit free cash flows because you need to bake in a disruption, you need to bake in resignation or departure of a CEO, you need to bake in a capital misallocation risk, you need to bake in uh, saturation of the product category if because of those risks you say that eight to nine years is a reasonable enough longevity then jan 2022 this portfolio was fairly valued you should not have invested in it because investing in a fairly valued asset gives you cost of capital outcome which in our case is 12 percent right so why give money to marcellus you should actually be investing in Nifty 50. But if you thought that, look, 
the kind of businesses that these are i don't see them stagnating completely in 2030 which at that time was let's say 8 9 years out into the future then the outcome is well as long as they'll keep compounding at more than, for more than 8 to 9 years then the jan 22 valuations were also cheap today uh, given the 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 sort of further progression in their fundamentals and the share price disconnect that has emerged i was talking about today that same number is about 6 and a half 7 years so today at uh, 40 times one year forward pe i think high 30s high 30s i think high 30s 40 some, somewhere around that is a, is a, a, a current pe that's uh, why 25 would be a little lower so uh, so at that pe when you look at the current share price the conclusion is about 7 years of compounding is baked into the valuations here right if you think a bajaj finance can is highly likely going to grow at more than 5% after 7 years then today's bhav bhagwanche is not bhagwanche okay today's bhav is lower than bhagwanche and that's effectively the 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 conclusion in a way you have to arrive at so it's perfectly true that anything bought above intrinsic value will destroy your capital at least in cost of capital terms uh, adjusted for cost of capital i mean uh, but at the same time what is the intrinsic value is a simple mathematics that you have to do it's not complex right uh, and hence um, i think uh, yeah so Uh, at today's pe multiples at today's uh, share prices we are buying this portfolio we believe these stocks are significantly undervalued right, right? Uh, having said that uh, in the past whenever we found a particular stock overvalued because of either a downgrade in our uh, expected fundamentals we have exited from it so we do keep buying the portfolio but inside the portfolio we go keep only companies where we are very convinced that uh bhav is uh, less than the intrinsic value as in if you say intrinsic value is bhagwanche and bhav is less than the intrinsic value and there is a gap so how frequently you do it quickly like you do it six monthly one year every fortnight every fortnight we review it yes every fortnight you create a scenario and every fortnight our model portfolio gets updated because share prices are moving every day first of all and every quarter uh we might have a revisit of our expected fundamentals right so every fortnight we then review the uh degree of undervaluation and that degree of undervaluation has to define position sizing in our portfolio but we won't rebalance the portfolios every fortnight for all our clients because then we maintain a tolerance band around the suggested model portfolio weight if current allocations are within the tolerance band we won't rebalance if the current allocations go outside of the tolerance band then we'll buy more for instance you might revisit but not necessarily that you might take a call correct we will certainly take a call if uh, the the current portfolio weights of any client are outside the tolerance band that we have defined around the model weight but the model weight and the tolerance bands they get reset once in a fortnight okay 
second question is a couple of questions. So second, what should be the realistic expectation from this fund, keeping in mind that I have five years of horizon? Well, so uh, what we expect is free cash flow compounding to drive the uh, share prices. But having said that, there'll be fees and expenses deducted. And let's say uh, your entry point was such that there was a little bit of a PE multiple compression during your investment period. So bearing all of those factors in mind, I think a high teens, 18, 19, 20% uh, post fees and expenses is, uh, is the uh, minimum expectation you should have from this yeah, kind of approach. horizon should be minimum five years. Oh, yes. Horizon for certainly. I mean, from a one-year perspective, the outcome could be anything. So, in, in let's say, relative to uh, Sensex terms, we've had a one-year with a 33% alpha. This was FY20. And we've had a one-year with a 14% underperformance. This was FY23. From a one-year perspective, in absolute terms, we've had minus 10% in FY23. And we've also had, a, I think, uh, FY21 was positive. 50% or 55%. So one year tends to be very volatile in terms of outcomes and you shouldn't be uh, investing with a one-year horizon at all. Uh, not just in our portfolio and equities in general, but particularly, certainly not in our portfolio. Uh, uh, from a three-year, five-year, seven-year perspective, yes, uh, that's where the high teens expectation should be a bare minimum. Yeah, last few questions. So one from Mr. P.S. The world's biggest investors say that everything is cheap at a price but costly at other, but we at Marcellus keep investing at any price. Is that justified? How clients should understand this? Okay. So see, we are investing in the portfolio, as I said. We will stop investing in the portfolio if we cannot find any stock undervalued. But if we can find a bunch of stocks undervalued, then we'll be investing in the under undervalued stocks. Right. So, um, which example should I give you? So, uh, let's say so Warren Buffett is quite celebrated, right? Uh, there was a three-year period between I think 1969 and 73, if I'm correct, and then there was a two-three-year period in the 1950s, early on, when he uh, completely stopped investing. Um, but barring those two instances, as far as I know, there wasn't a period when he said, I, I can't find anything worthy of investment. Uh, at a stock level, you're perfectly right. Uh, I think the uh, investor asking this question, uh, uh, he or she is perfectly right that at a particular stock level, investing always at all points of time might not make sense. If the share price has factored in all the upside or fundamentals are deteriorated to bring the intrinsic value to below its share price, right? Uh, which is where whatever limited amount of churn that we undergo, it's largely for these reasons, right? So whether it be Groove Finance, whether it be Marico, whether it be today, uh, about uh, one year ago, etc. That's because our view of what the share price currently factors in versus what we expect changes. But it doesn't change. I mean, if you expect an HDFC bank to undergo a, a undervalued, overvalued, undervalued, overvalued flip 
once in three months, once in six months, once in twelve months. Uh, it's not necessary. I mean, some of the great businesses, uh, it might make sense to to buy them with any surplus cash that you have at any point of time because they are undervalued at any point of time. It's not a thumb rule, but yeah, as long as we can find a bunch of stocks uh, that uh, remain undervalued at a point of time, we'll keep buying more of them at that time. Next question is, uh, uh, in my portfolio, there is a, a gap of between the benchmark and the actual performance in last one and a half years. What's your views? Oh, view would uh, gave you those colors, right? I can show you again. Uh, word of this, yeah. Yeah, so this is, uh, uh, yeah, this is what you're going through in a way. Um, you're looking at one, one and a half year period. There are lots of yellows and reds in a one, one and a half year period. And, the, and, and you are going through a yellow, which is bottom right, right? Which is a relative underperformance. Or maybe you are going through a top right, which is a red. That is, you might also have had a capital loss in the last one, one and a half year and an underperformance. The question that you have to ask is not why am I underperforming versus the index? The question you have to ask is, am I buying stocks where underlying fundamentals are deteriorating rather than improving? Am I buying stocks where valuations are uh, higher than their intrinsic value? Those are the only two questions that you should be asking. Uh, share price experience, both in relative and absolute terms over a one and a half year period, is just an outcome which can be an aberration. Um, the aberration corrects itself. And if you're a CCP investor in the last three months, you would have seen a lot of that correction play out. Um, but uh, the question to be asked is whether this is an aberration or this is uh, a permanent erosion of opportunity capital, opportunity of making money in a better way uh, versus the Nifty 50 or an opportunity of compounding your wealth in an absolute way. Is it a loss of opportunity, permanent loss, or is it an aberration which will correct itself? We strongly believe this is an aberration. This will correct itself. As I said, partly it has started to correct, provided there are no significant black swan events, something like China, Taiwan happening or something like that. Uh, I think the, the correction of this aberration will keep happening in the foreseeable future over the next say, three, six, nine months. Time period precisely over a short term is very difficult to give you guidance on. But yeah, you should see uh, you should see a reversal of the aberration that you've under, undergone in your portfolio in the last 18 months. I think with that, I'd like to conclude the session here. And you know, one thing that I want to highlight here for our investors is that please understand when you are investing in this portfolio, this is not the portfolio which will change markets. You know, if market is going north, north the markets are going south, then the portfolio will also change. Uh, in the same fashion, no, this is the portfolio where you have high conviction ideas, which takes time, which takes time to play out. So I think the positioning of the portfolio has to be clear. So like at AIF and PMS Experts India, we have a, our own framework called Three Eyes Framework, in which what we do is we, we are basically, we follow the manager-centric approach in the sense that we look at the different styles of the portfolio. So if your style and this style is not matching with each other, that means that you should not be investing at first place, number one. Because when you're investing and then expecting this outcome, which is not likely to come, 
because this fund is particularly designed in different fashion. So what we do is when we construct the portfolio, we look at different styles. You know, we look at somebody who's got a contra approach. We would bring in that contra guy on the portfolio who would go against the market thought and would invest in those businesses which are likely to turn around. You may follow value investing. We will bind somebody who is following a GARP approach, you know, growth at a reasonable price. He would stick to that approach even during the bad time. And we like portfolio managers who stick to what they say and what they do instead of their managers who say that they, they follow growth investing and they end up buying value stocks. So I think uh, uh, what is more important is when you talk to some experts and understand uh, different styles of the portfolio manager and then have a different compartments in your overall portfolio approach that this portfolio where you're picking up high conviction ideas, this is for first of all, long, long period of time A and B it takes its own time because you, what you're doing is you're buying these businesses which are like, you know, one of the best, I mean, these are high conviction uh, ideas. So you have to stay along. And a couple of examples shared by uh, Rakshit is really very insightful in the sense that the moment you zoom out, then you see how Bajaj Finance has played out. But in the short term, of course, I have worries in my mind that what if it goes down from 7,500 levels? You know, so uh, with that, uh, thank you so much, Rakshit, for uh, sharing your thoughts on, uh, you know, uh, power of compounding. You gave a couple of examples on, you know, the, 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 the best thing is that the moment you zoomed out, you know, and that really gave me different uh, 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 insights, I would say. So thank you so much once again. And once again, thank you so much, uh, dear investors. If you have any more questions, uh, please reach out to me and my team. Uh, we will speak to Rakshit and if needed, we'll get your meeting also organized with him. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Rakshit, thank you. for taking the time. Thank you, dear investors. Bye.